Welcome to the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. Maybe you've had a bad experience with whiskey in the past or had very strong, neat spirit thrust upon you and surprisingly not enjoyed it. If so, then this is the conversation for you. I'm Rob Patchett, Global Whiskey Ambassador for the Cotswolds Distillery, and I'm joined by leading personalities in the drinks industry who agree that more people need to drink whiskey, but on their terms. We discuss whiskey cocktails, experiences, great people to follow in the industry, and how you can find your way into whiskey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. Today, I am joined by the brilliant Amy Seaton, owner of the Grain and Glass Bar in Birmingham, as well as Birmingham Whiskey Clubs as well, an all-round advocate for whiskey, bringing people into the category, and also a huge fan of the Cotswolds Distillery, which is always a bonus in my book. Amy, welcome. Hello. Uh, our first in-studio live guest as well, so hopefully this goes as well as all the previous, but I'm sure it will. Um, I guess more than anything, just to keep it flowing and keep it within uh, what we want to talk about in this podcast, what sparked your love of whiskey? Um, I get asked this quite a lot and I never really know how to answer it because it was a sort of evolving journey, I guess. So I, I think from when I was younger, my dad and uncles drank whiskey so it was kind of I want to say always around but that sounds slightly wrong um but I kind of I had this idea for a business that was part of so whiskey was always just sort of a quite a small part of uh, a bigger business and I didn't know very much about it at all but uh, met somebody who did and together we um kind of forged this alliance to uh, start doing whiskey events under the uh, banner of the Birmingham Whiskey Club and I think at that point I knew I was interested in it but I hadn't really fallen in love with it. And I don't really know when I did, but I think it was just sort of a gradual a gradual kind of reckoning of meeting lots of people, meeting lots of very, very lovely people in the whiskey world. Um, I think one of the big things, I'd come from a very corporate environment, um, going up and down to London, organising events um, and marketing and such. And I think the kinds of people that I met in the whiskey world, I think that was the kind of the key thing when I realised that it was something I wanted to do for, well, hopefully for <laughs> the rest of my career. Um, and then going to my first Scottish distillery, which um, was Ockintoshan. And I think just that... Um, going up to Glasgow, getting the bus out and, and visiting a distillery for the first time and meeting the people sitting at the bar. I think that was when I kind of I realised that it was it was not just a kind of a job or a thing that I created. It was a passion as well. I love that. And I also like the fact that there is a there's a continuity within the conversations I'm having around how people got into whiskey, but enjoy whiskey. And the most important thing that I seem to hear is that it was seeing the community, seeing the people within that community and actually enjoying not only being a part of it but being around them yeah. that then draws you within it. And yes, I, I think something that is very important to state as well is that you are now a creator of that community, you know, <laughs> with with Grain and Glass, which we will talk about later, um, but also your whiskey festivals that you organise every year for Birmingham. Yep. You are creating your own community within whiskey, which I have been a part of for a few years now. And... It's a brilliant community of wonderful people that are truly the right people pushing forward not only the category but their love of whiskey. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I was just saying to the team yesterday, actually, I think the um, the reason that we kind of all keep going is, you know, one of the proudest moments that I've had in the bar um, is just seeing people make friends. And I mean that in a very kind of... Um, 
what's the word, very real way. And that, you know, I kind of, I only realised it recently. It's like, oh, right, well, those two people didn't know each other before they kind of came to an event or they became a member of the club or whatever it was. And seeing friendships, actually... And I think the whiskey is the kind of, it's the thing that has brought them there. And I think it brings a very specific kind of person, it attracts a specific kind of person because it is geeky um, and it is detailed and it is global. And seeing these people make friends and make kind of real friends and seeing them kind of, you know, do socialise outside of of what I've created. I think that's been a kind of uh, a personal, I don't want to say win because it's not about that, but just, you know, something that I've loved seeing. Well, you get satisfaction out of it. And that's really important as well. I was talking to Millie Milliken earlier and one thing that she said was one of her best whiskey experiences was about being around people, but also seeing their love and their appreciation of the spirit as well. And I, I get the same. Whenever I do whiskey tastings or presentations or anything like that, a whiskey naysayer is always a great person to have in a crowd because it's almost like a challenge that you don't want to sort of berate them into loving it, but just sort of entice them into the category because the whiskey category for years has had a certain stigma about how you should go about being a part of it. You know, you need to understand Scotch, Scotch whiskey. You need to understand tradition. You need to understand law. And I think, There are so many people like yourself, like me, who just want more and more people to be part of the category so that we can all appreciate it together and actually have the narrative that it's not about elitism. It's not about a secret old man's club. It's about a delicious drink with a great history, heritage and community around it that more people should be a part of. Yeah, I agree. Good. I'm glad you (laughs) agree. Of course I agree. That makes makes my life a lot easier. So I guess that leads me on to just really within your rich history within whiskey, what would you define as your best whiskey moment with regards to an experience, a bottle, a person, a time, anything of that nature? It's funny you calling me saying I have this rich history because I still feel like a complete newbie to it, even though it's been sort of over 10 years. I think that's kind of one of the things of whiskey, kind of open the door, but you never stop learning. Um, I have been very very fortunate to have very so many 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 rich experiences and I just I mean I've actually just (laughs) literally fresh off the boat from Isla um, where I had an amazing uh, experience for a a friend's birthday Uh, and this is sort of testament to the community so this is a more of a personal experience so he's a a very well-known person to Ardbeg so that will instantly tell most people who that is Um, and people came from all around the world to celebrate his birthday and he strictly said no one bring any whiskey to his party. So the second that everybody got there, you know, bags were opened, 1960s Abalawa gets chucked around liberally, people just open these incredible bottles with no thought to the fact that, you know, we I'm sure at some point we'll mention auctioning, no, no regard to the fact that these bottles would fetch many, many pounds, let's say, on auction. And, you know, possibly they won't walk away with any of it, um at the end of the night and they didn't care people just wanted to chat about their whiskey they wanted to share their whiskey so I sort of that's a a personal rich experience let's say Um, I would say I just I think opening the bar has got to be the the highlight it was many years in the making Um, it you know it's a very bumpy journey trying to to get something like that started Um, so on a personal thing I've always been kind of credited which slightly sit, doesn't sit particularly well with me of kind of starting a scene in Birmingham which I'm also kind of you know very proud of and and you know if you mention whiskey in Birmingham most of the time roads lead back to me which is lovely um 
but getting people kind of coming through the door, I just I just don't think I can pinpoint one thing. So I now have a door, which is great, uh, and people seeing people come through the door and knowing. So what we've got, kind of mentioned, I think before of. You know, you, you kind of you see people beginning their journey and you just you almost I feel really excited for those people that they're going to have those experiences that I've had over the years. And they're just beginning and they have they're just entering into this world of new friendships, uh, distillery tours, potentially, glow, you know, going around the world, visiting um, friends that they've made and they don't know that yet. And I think that's that's a kind of a prolonged experience, let's say. <laughs> Well, I guess your best whiskey moment is one of a continuous nature because you're still living it. You've got, you've been able to open the doors to um, a whiskey bar that has created and enhanced a community that you already did create. So I guess you're, it's a, it's it's kind of like that cheesy line from Point Break where he says, "What's he searching for?" When he refers to Patrick Swayze's character and he says, "The ultimate ride," and he says, "Well, he's still searching." Um, and I guess that is what a lot of us are in pursuit of, is that ultimate whiskey experience, but not from an adrenaline junkie standpoint, just in the fact that we live our lives around this product and this community, and it keeps delivering these wonderful moments that pinpoint certain elements of our life. So it's almost like you have memory anchors around certain points yeah. within the whiskey industry. And I think the other thing that you sort of touched on that I find very interesting from my own personal perspective is also... The differentiation of a personal experience versus a, a, a job occupational experience because when you work in whiskey it blurs that line as well you know your social life becomes your work life and vice versa and you have to try and navigate it as best you can but also there aren't many jobs where you get to do that and do it not only effectively but enjoy every minute of it yes and you are right it's it's difficult i have uh, have a new member of the team who came in from um so steve who came in from a very corporate role and he is a very big whiskey geek um and i've talked with him about the kind of and and similarly to my background like the corporate world and and the whiskey world and it's not that the whiskey world isn't professional or corporate at all but it's you do merge and it's something it's very difficult to unpick sometimes so i think i know i wouldn't be doing a lot of these things for example if i didn't have the professional connection into whiskey as well but it can be I think it can be a blessing it can be a curse as well because you you know if you I mean this is like the bar trade uh, in general I think you become you sort of a sidestep to you know normal people um, and <clears throat> excuse me you kind of you do exist in a slightly different time frame almost <laughs> yes. which if you've worked in a bar or worked in hospitality or I think whiskey uh, brand ambassadorship you you just kind of do and you, you end up realising that most of your friends um, are connected to the industry or connected to whiskey in some way and that's n not not n at all a, a bad thing but it's when you have you know I have friends outside the whiskey industry and you know they sort of look at me and what I do in my job sometimes and you know there is a, a slight disconnect because it's just it's just so different so it's not a sort of it is you know it's I feel I wake up every day and feel lucky. Uh, it's hard. It's uh, you know it's been uh, you know COVID and now other things uh, happening. So it's it is a hard thing to have. But I wouldn't you know I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you actually touched on something within uh, your last answer, in which I found that very interesting. Is when you do have friends outside of the industry, and when you do end up going to a social situation like a bar or something of that nature, and it is the ability to not only switch off. You're right, I'm watching the room, I'm watching the waiter, I'm watching the bartender, I'm watching the host and how long people have been waiting with empty drinks. I mean, that is a whole different conversation that we'll completely uh, not get into. But also, 
you know, if your friends are talking about ordering a cocktail that might have whiskey in it, and then they say, oh, well, I don't really like whiskey, and then all of a sudden you're compelled to jump on it and go, no, 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 try it, it'll be amazing, the flavours won't be anything like you've experienced before, which is kind of the, uh, the genesis of this entire conversation in this podcast. And I guess my question would be, how do you navigate that? Because we all want people to drink whiskey and whiskey cocktails and find their own journey, but from a personal standpoint, you also don't want to be the pain in the ass that in your social circle where you can't switch off. Do you know what I mean? Is there a question in there? I'm not sure. I think sure. so. There's a simple answer. You just don't have friends that uh, don't drink whiskey. That's pretty much it. You just... <laughs> yeah, mic drop, we're done. Don't... <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky. I'm just thinking of friends who don't like whiskey and very genuinely. No, I have actually. I have had a few, but they will... If I say you will like it... I haven't. Do you know what? I've never actually thought about this. So I think I need to sort of apologise to all of my sort of non-trade people friends. But I think they will probably try it because I've said to try it. Yeah. And they, there's an, obviously an element of trust there. But then I also get if I'm out with dinner to dinner with friends and there's no whiskey, they will still thrust the menu in my direction anyway. So I just become the general alcohol person, which I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing. No, but, I can empathise a thousand percent on that one. <laughs> but no, I have, I'm just thinking with some friends. In fact, a friend of mine went to a distillery and she she's somebody, uh, she's a very, very good friend of mine and she's helped at whiskey festivals um, and has absolutely nothing to do with the industry. Didn't really like whiskey at all but ended up doing a distillery tour recently and not only that ended up doing her own little impromptu whiskey tasting with two of her other friends and I was just like what but that's brilliant but she's only you know that I've kind of exposed a world to her I think and and she's just very very slowly kind of dabbled she's certainly not somebody who would you know order a, a, a really heavily sherried or a peaty whiskey at a bar or something but something quite light and delicate is, is her palate and she she doesn't feel threatened by it or she feels that it, it can be something for her now that's so important as well because it's not about generating enough momentum to get to yourself get yourself to a point where you need to order a heavily sherried or a, a peaty whiskey or something that's massively complex it is that first step of going well i quite like light and fruity kind of whiskies and i'm confident in that and that's that first step that's that fo- that's that foot in the door that makes you have the confidence that you can build to be part of what we are, which is a whiskey community that just has an open door. More people come in, more people come in and drink whiskey and drink it however you want. And that first step is so important. Is, yeah. Now, I love it. I think that is brilliant. Um, so really, now that we've talked about the fact that you have been to the wonderful Isla recently and gone around all of the brilliant distilleries <laughs> and you've drank really old Abelauer and amazing Artberg editions and I saw your stories. I saw that there were some incredible things being drank. Yep. Um, I'm going to turn the f- and I'm going to flip the coin on that one because really what I like to know is I've called it guilty pleasure, but there should never be any guilt in this. I guess it is just an unconventional pleasure when it comes to drinking whiskey a certain way um for instance i really do love whiskey in a pina colada it is just a great serve and you know what's yours well funnily enough the same um so well a couple of things actually so um lucy morton from edrington created the isla colada uh which was i can't remember i think it was lefroig um, and it was amazing. So I do have to credit her with that. That was absolutely fantastic. So I'm a real fan of PT whiskey and cocktails, actually. And I think you can balance them. And we do um, a smoky summertime old fashioned. And it's just like 
basically a blend of Laphroaig and Maker's Mark, which I'm sure should never go together, but people love them because it's just got that little bit of earthy peatiness that just gives like a, a lovely smoky tang and it really works. I mean, if it works in a penicillin, why can't it work <laughs> in an old fashioned, right? Actually, that's a very good point. Yes. Yes, I hadn't thought about that. Um, and we have our staff drinks, which is basically Maker's Mark and uh, ginger beer. Yeah, yeah. You cannot sleep on ginger beer or ginger ale. It's also one of those drinks where, you know, if no matter what calibre style pub, bar, restaurant you go to, um, and I am quite keen on going to what Americans would call a dive bar. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a, 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 any whiskey with ginger ale and loads of ice, Still a solid drink in yeah. my time, you know. But people feel like, I mean, I, we still get this. So I was actually, I'm not, this is not me bragging now. So when I was at Lagavulin <laughs> doing the warehouse <laughs> tasting just a few days ago, uh, definitely bragging, um, a guy had his own um, bottle of cola and he got absolutely berated because he wanted to add it. I was like, well, no, 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 in the industry, it's called a smoky cokey. And that was something devised by Colin Dunn, um, who's obviously the the yep. main man uh, for Diageo and he you know he will talk liberally about uh, Smoky Cokey and, and I think it's fantastic but everybody in the group and they were a lot of Americans lots of people who I guess were over there for a sort of very traditional whiskey drinking experience were just aghast that this man had like bought his own bottle of cola and like splashed it in and then the fact that you said you know I mean Colin Dunn for anyone that doesn't know him um, Google him um, <laughs> he is almost a celebrity within whiskey circles. He works for Diageo, he takes care of their portfolio, he's an incredible storyteller, a master of ceremony when it comes to talking about whiskey. If you ever get to go to one of his tastings, do so, because he is brilliant. And if you have someone of that caliber talking about a smoky cokey, um, then I don't see how there is any room for that, like you say, stepping back aghast, having coke in a, in a whiskey. It's like, no. If it's endorsed by someone that is so well revered within the industry, I don't think there's any room for people to sort of turn their noses up. But I think we're um, we're on board with that because we've been here for a for a while. But we get people routinely in the bar who come for tasting sessions. We get a lot of groups. We get a lot of stag dudes who are absolutely lovely, and they're there for their friend. You know, he's the whiskey lover. So we kind of separate people. You know, if you're a whiskey geek, you sit down the front, and if you just want to chat, you know, kind of sit at the back. But a lot of them, and we just say, actually, look, if you're because <laughs> they look at the six whiskeys with absolute horror sometimes, and we just say, look, if you want a mixer, it's completely fine. And they're really shocked that we. we the people behind the bar suggest that actually it's more about them enjoying it and not wanting to run screaming from the tasting room and only cementing the fact that they yes they really really do hate whiskey and we're the ones going no no chuck some water in it put some ice in it you know cola we've got ginger ale and they're just uh, or you know we can mix it into a cocktail for you just you know rather th- and they honestly look at us with shock or we get people coming in saying oh you'll probably kick me out because I've like one ice cube it's like no so do I <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah and the thing is if you if you go online and look at whiskey documentaries um if you're listening to this podcast and you're just trying to get into whiskey, don't go online and watch whiskey documentaries. Some of them are a bit dusty and old, but I enjoy them. But one continuation throughout all of these is that most people that historically have been in the industry for a long time add water at the very least to their whiskey. All of them. And I've, start, I've started doing that more, actually, as I, as I get a bit older, that I kind of, I used to, I think there's a sort of a badge of honour, isn't there, where you go through a stage of just loving your really, really high... ABV kind of burn your eyeballs off kind of whiskies and I'm kind of as I I don't know taste change I guess and I'm now kind of enjoying slightly less 
high ABV that I wouldn't have really looked at a few years ago, I guess. I'd have still been sort of on that journey. No, I agree. I agree completely. Um, one thing that I'll do, because it's the summer months, I'll have, you know, 50 ml of whiskey, 50 ml of water and some ice, but then of an, of an early evening, you know, as the sun's going down, that's a really refreshing style of drink. And yes, it's watering it down, but most whiskey is watered down to bottling proof anyway. Um, and I think the other thing to sort of bear in mind is, yeah, cask strength whiskey. I work for the Cotswolds Distillery. Most of our releases are around cask strength because we 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 just love that sort of ABV. But we're also very very in line with that's the starting point. Add as much water so that you can create your own flavor profile at the strength that you feel comfortable with as well. So if someone does hand you a sixty percent whiskey, a cask strength whiskey. Don't feel ashamed that you're adding water. It's the starting point. It's not the end. It's not where you should be drinking it. It's just taking it to where you feel comfortable. That's what I always say. Agreed. Cool. All right. Well, I think that we have definitely just broken down all barriers within <laughs> whiskey. We're changing it. This is a whiskey revolution. Um, one thing that I love about the grain and glass, whenever I go in, I've done some tastings there. We've done an afternoon tea there as well, we didn't have. we? That we went have. down really well. I know. Well. well, people keep talking to me about it. I mean, we did, we did this like way before pandemic. It must have been the first year, I think. So that's what, 2018, I think, mm. or 2019. And people still come up to me now saying, when are you going to do that again? So I was a bit, I'm a bit overwhelmed with the uh, the sort of the um, the love of the afternoon, the whiskey afternoon tea. Yeah, watch this space. It's going to come back. It will come back. Off yes. air, we'll talk about yes, that. Yes, definitely. But the most important thing that I really love about Grain and Glass is on the wall, you have a chalkboard. <laughs> And on that chalkboard, it says whiskey converts and then like a Roman tally. How many people are on that board at the moment? Oh, God, I've got no idea. Um, Maybe 70? That is incredible. Whiskey converts, 70. That is an absolute feat in my eyes. And there is criteria around it. We just, these are people who come in. And we had a few, we do cocktail weekends. and we have people who come in, they'll come in in a group and they're saying, they're all, oh, no, no, this is the whiskey one, isn't it? I'll, I won't I won't uh, try it. And then I would <laughs> start saying, if you don't like it, I will. you won't pay for it. Um, and it was just a really lovely um, drink with, what did we use? Some um, Japanese whiskey, uh, which is, you know, can be very light and easy drinking. And we just made this lovely, lovely, very delicate fruity cocktail and nobody uh, got it for free. Brilliant. I mean, not only as a business owner did you not have to give away anything for free, but it was a cocktail that brought people into... And it harks back to what we were saying earlier. Having a cocktail with whiskey does not mean that it's going to be an overwhelming experience. It just means that it can amplify flavours. I said said on the previous episode, if you have the opportunity to ever walk through a distillery, through the the fermentation area, and all you're going to smell is banana and bread and tropical fruit and pineapples and things of that nature... They're the flavor flavor profiles that you can use to make whiskey accessible as well, because that's, you know, whiskey isn't just smoke and peat. Whiskey is fruit, lots and lots of fruit and desserts and sweet things and nice things. So, um, yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I I will post a picture on my Instagram of that board because (laughs) it is just one of my favorite things. And it's also one of the contributing factors to this podcast is the fact that people can come into your bar and completely feel open in admitting that they don't like whiskey and they can walk out comfortably as a whiskey fan and a whiskey yeah. convert. And then hopefully that means that they'll come back or at least they'll start trying a few things at home. Yeah, absolutely. It's that Again, it's that first step in the journey which is so important. 
So one of the other things that is um, is brilliant about what you do is obviously your whiskey festivals. So, I mean, tell us a little bit more about Birmingham Whiskey Festival. Um, so Whiskey Brum, as we call it, is um, nearly 10, believe it or not. And it started... Um, well, I don't count one of them because we sort of did a trial run in tw- uh, 2012 and that was just a very small festival for about 100 people with six brands that was <laughs> sold out really quickly and we were like, oh, okay, I think we're onto something. And it's kind of expanded over the years. We're onto our second, well, third venue, actually, if you count the first one, um, because our lovely venue in uh, Digbeth um, closed for a refurbishment. So we're at a place called Austin Court. Um, and I guess festivals are a funny thing because... There, everybody's doing. Oh, it feels that every city is now doing a whiskey festival, and consumer-wise, there are there is no shortage of a person that would love to go to a whiskey festival and meet people and drink a lot of nice whiskies and get to know people. But we, from a from an organizer side, we it, getting brands such as yourself <laughs> has become very competitive, which is something that we didn't have to worry about years ago. So there has been a kind of evolution. And we tend to get, because it was always meant to be, it's always a, very much a city centre festival. So we attract a hugely kind of diverse crowd, lots of lots of young people, lots of... Um, I had, I think one year I had three generations of the same family, which was amazing. And um, it was their, you know, annual day out together as a family which I thought was brilliant um yeah and and it's little things like that so we we when we started we wanted to do just a few creative bits and bobs we've always done cigars which is a whole other world that I'm actually just getting into now um and had a lot of synergy with um whiskey folk um and we always wanted to have these sort of kind of creative elements so street food vans and we have a dj um and we have we divide our festival into well now we can divide our festival into an english whiskey room which was brilliant and we started doing that a couple of years ago when english whiskey uh, more um distilleries were producing um an independent bottler room and then a kind of world global global whiskey and then we do kind of masterclass so all those years ago that was quite unusual so having the food off the cool food offering the sort of the quite you know got a, a good local dj who will go and do you know club nights and then he'll do a whiskey festival in the day kind of thing and then you know cigars and stuff like that and now it's actually most festivals have this creative element so we're still happy with the format and we still, you know, we sell out within a couple of months. We could expand it. And in fact, a lot of people will say, why don't you do two sessions? Why don't you do three sessions? I just don't want to, because what I love, again, going back to right back to the beginning of this conversation, it's about community and what I love with Whiskey Brum. You buy a ticket, you will see every single person at that festival. You won't have to try and figure out, you know, if your friends are going to a different session or, and I that's really important to me because I could expand it. I could literally double the income of it if I wanted to, but I don't because it's about what well, I, I love the stories that I had a story <laughs> that, um, some of our members, they, they made friends with this guy. And I've almost to the point where I'm do, trying to, I want, need to do a call out on Facebook to try and find this guy because they had such a great time with him and they became really good mates during the festival. And it's like, Oh, it's fine. You'll just see him next year. So that, community element needs to run through everything I do and the festival and I think that there are so many festivals and I don't want to create and they're hard enough you know if anyone who's been involved in a festival they're hard enough to run as, as they are but yeah it needs to, I want it to sort of stay small kind of boutique creative and just one session I couldn't agree more and there's so much to unpack in that answer because 
I attend whiskey festivals quite regularly since I became the uh, global whiskey ambassador. I'll I'm bet. About, <laughs> I'm a bit about to head into whiskey season all over Europe as well, which is going to be crazy. But one thing that I can say is that Birmingham Whiskey Festival is a perfect size. And when you're at a whiskey festival, there is lots and lots of opportunity to try loads of really interesting styles of whiskey. You are the first person to do an English whiskey room. We must talk about that for a second. But other than that, like you say, having food, there's a lot of whiskey. Put something in your belly, okay? And then having the creativity to have different sort of breakout sessions, lots of different caliber of brands as well, from the tiny little English ones to the behemoths of Scotland and everything in between. Um, having the cigar element, I mean, I'm quite a, I'm quite partial to a stick, but obviously when I'm at a festival, I'm on duty, so I don't. But it's just... The size, the agility of being able to be creative, the offering of it, the brands that you work with as well. I, I can genuinely, hand on heart, say it's one of my favorite festivals to attend every year because it is so good. Um, and I guess my question to you would be, if I'm not into whiskey, hypothetically speaking, should I come to your festival? Um, I mean, we've had people who do. Um I think I'm not going to lie. I think it's it. You you absolutely could. I mean, we that it can be. I would say going to any festival where it's just a sort of single spirit festival and you haven't enjoyed it before. There will be something for you on every stand. But I think the problem with these festivals, I'm <laughs> now down talking my own festival, um, is that it's quite difficult to stop and have a proper chat because brands are just busy for the whole day. So I think as a starter, I don't think you would go away feeling like you've been hard done by, but you do have to kind of, I would say, as you said, uh, you know, eat, probably take take um, take part in a masterclass. And we used to do, actually, we don't do it anymore because it just uh, didn't uh, what, stop being popular. We used to do like how to do a whiskey festival session mm. and you used to be able to come in at like half 11, you'd have two drams and it would just be me talking to you about you know if you hadn't been to a festival before what to do and just how to nose and taste before going to the brands and we did that really successfully for a few years and then people just stopped buying tickets for it so I just thought well my job is done everyone's fine (laughs) (laughs) everyone knows what they're doing everyone knows what they're doing and I think it was when I did one last session I had five people it's like oh okay um so but yeah I think there still is I think that it just unless you have done a festival it can be it's a busy day it's a brilliant day and you will make friends and you will you know walk away having had a great time so yes there there is something for you but I just think it's that you can't have the sort of the deeper meaningful conversations is the only the only caveat I would put in there but if you're going with friends that's the only thing I say maybe go with somebody who's a whiskey loving person um, and they can just sort of you know take you round a bit somebody who's been to a festival before but yeah i think there's i think there's room for everybody i think so as well i think that if you're not into whiskey and you want to do um going to a whiskey festival not only do i think it is a good idea because you get to meet other people that will not patronize you and they will say well what have you tried oh we'll go and try this and it's almost like you can take the lead from people around you that can go to other take you to other tables to try other whiskies as well um so I'm going to respectfully disagree with you and say that if you are trying to get into whiskey, go. Go. Because it is a brilliant, immersive experience. And like I say, Amy runs one of the best in the world. So be a part of it. Now, for the next part of our conversation, I have named this the punch-up section, which does sound like a weird sort of bar brawl. But (laughs) I'm very much... uh, The narrative of this overall podcast is that I don't want to sort of reduce or punch down or be... Um, negative about elements of the whiskey industry or people within the whiskey communities. But I do want to be able to sort of platform and give people the opportunity 
well, give you the opportunity to tell people about think people, places and products within the industry that you think are really pioneering, pushing forward, and people need to be aware of it. Um, so I guess my question to you is, who do you think in the whiskey industry needs a bit of a, not a punch-up as in physically, but <laughs> a platform, you know, someone that just needs to be uh, highlighted as a champion? So... I have thought this was my homework, so I've really thought about this Good. and I've made notes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to mention Tony Pancakes. Right, OK. Never heard of him, her person. Um, please, okay. tell me of Tony Pancakes. I will tell you of Tony Pancakes. So Tony Pancakes, firstly, is not a slightly less violent member of the Peaky Blinders, just to um, cross that off the list. And I have talk to him about mentioning him as Tony Pancakes. Um, Tony Pancakes is the owner of the Spirit of Birmingham distillery. Um, and I am not going, not uh, talking about Isla again, but I was just with him on Isla as one of the, the group of people. And, and and he's, I've known him for a while um, and we've we've chatted and, and such, but I haven't really, really kind of got to know what he's doing. And I got an opportunity to sit and, and have a proper chat with him. Um, he is distilling. He is a complete whiskey geek. So on Twitter, he is MC Drama or Tony Pancakes. Um and he is he has uh, a small distillery um just outside birmingham and at the moment and i could be wrong on this i think he's one of well he is one of the only people if not the only person who is using local oak for his casks so he's getting somebody to um make these casks for him so again he's a small dis- a small distillery um his liquid he's just sort of uh look laying down casks at the moment he's using a really kind of interesting grain recipe so he's using um, malted oats he's using different types of barley um i think chocolate barley as well um so he's all about flavor but he's very very much about english whiskey now the other big thing that he's doing is he's using what's called an eye still um, and this isn't a product of Apple. Um, so, But it is something that I've been hearing a little bit about um, over the last year or so with new distillers, especially in England. Well, I have to be in England, obviously, um, using this uh, apparatus. Um, and it's I'd, I've never seen one, so I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not talking with huge amounts of knowledge here, but my understanding is that it's um, you can change the recipe very, very easily. You can change the drinks you want. So it's a very, very good piece of apparatus for somebody starting in distilling in a country that hasn't yet decided what its laws are. So, which is a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I am kind of bigging him up because he's not yet put out any whiskey. Um, he is flavor forward flavor first he i find his methodology very authentic um and he has said and i was i was just talking to him this morning um he's looking at a 2024 release if the liquid is correct so he's under no in, in absolutely no hurry to put something out he's waiting um for it to be absolutely ready and if you talk to him and get really kind of geeky about um, how, what he's doing, the ethos behind everything is really, really interesting. So he's Spirit of Birmingham or Tony Pancakes. I'm pr- pretty sure you'll remember one of them. <laughs> you heard it here first, Tony Pancakes. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, I have seen them at a whiskey festival before. Lovely people. Um, what they're doing is really, really great for the overall category because they've got the agility to do some really interesting things as well. So... I have nothing but good thoughts and good feelings for them, and I think that they're going to do great just because of their story alone. Um, So, yeah, everyone go out there, find Tony Pancakes, 
fine spirit of Birmingham because also English whiskey, that's something that I think we're going to do a separate episode on, to be honest with you, because that's a big, big enough subject in itself. For sure, yes. Uh, okay, so what would you like to punch up? I suppose English whiskey, really, although I'm not entirely sure it needs me punching it up. Um, it does, it oh, does. It does we, does it? We, we, need, we need everything we can get. Really? I think so, yeah. I think we're still an acorn category. Um, and whilst there are 40 of us, I think that English whiskey, I mean, in all honesty with you, this was either going to be about bringing more people to category or this podcast was going to be solely about English whiskey. So right, okay. uh, not that I'm selling this as IP, but if anyone's <laughs> going to start an English whiskey podcast, I was there first. Yes. Um, but yeah, I do think that English whiskey does need a bit more of a platform because one consistent is that when you say there are 40 English whiskey distilleries, people are aghast, people are gobsmacked that there are that many. And it's like, well, why are the English making whiskey? And it's like, why not? Yes, why not? And actually, I think what I'd like to see happen is somebody really kind of looking at the history of English whiskey, because I've done a, I mean, I've Googled when I say I've done a bit of research, I've literally typed it into Google and to see what, what came up. And there isn't a lot. And what we can kind of look at is that there were three cities, about five distilleries, some making just grain, some making single malt and grain. And the general consensus is that the grain was just shipped to Scotland. So people, I think the, the kind of the question mark is that why don't we have this history of whiskey making and and you know whereas we're so you know um what's the word terrain wise you know we're similar at least in some parts to scotland you know i and and similar to ireland why doesn't england have the same um the same history the same kind of discussion points and and lots of people have kind of weighed in on it you know the gin craze in london probably has something to do with it sending grain to scotland but then it kind of stops and i and that's where the conversations are really, really interesting, but there just doesn't seem to be a huge amount of um, information from these historic distilleries to really kind of piece together the, the long history of whiskey making in England because there, there must be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that there is a, correct me if I'm wrong, roughly about a 107-year gap. 107 years is a long time without any explanation as to Hicks why and Healy, we didn't wasn't it? it was 2003 and then I think it was I'm sorry Rob I'm going to have to correct you I think it was <laughs> 1904 from uh, the one it was it Lee Lee Valley or something like that or Lee something or other yeah. in uh, in London and then Hicks and Healy in uh, Cornwall um, but they weren't using their own they weren't making their own mash they were bringing it in from a brewery I think so I think sometimes people yes, don't really count because that because they uh, have an affiliation with St Austell Brewery yes yes so it's very much so people never really know what to do with Hicks and Healy I think although I think they're very a really kind of interesting and they did really start it and then obviously you know a few years down the line the English whiskey company um, popped up but before that, but it's more, it's not just the sort of making of it, it's the conversation, it's the history books, it's the the people involved, like, you know, you, know, you delve into Scotch whiskey in Scotland, and even if a, a, a distillery took a break for 60 years, which many, you know, many of them have done, many of them have come in and out of production, there's still huge amounts of knowledge and uh, referencing uh, to do with these distilleries, and there just doesn't seem to be any and unless I don't know well this is me literally googling and then coming to a bit of a uh, a dead end but I think I would love to see the history properly plotted to see what we can unearth I think that'd be really fascinating yeah I agree and uh, I had a great conversation with Becky Paskin a few weeks ago and she's actually got loads of good research and good notes and good facts as well oh, and I think okay. I think that really is a case of you know, people like yourself, people like Becky, people like Billy Abbott, and just coming together as a collective to sort of amalgamate all of their notes and findings on English whiskey, because 
the genesis isn't right now, but we are in the early stages of what is the great and solid footholdings of what a category can be moving forward. And I think if we can actually make sure that we've got the history tracked correctly, and then we can document what we're doing today yeah. and what we have been doing since the early 2000s with Hicks and Healy and the English Whiskey Company, it means that English Whiskey has a great footholding to be able to move forward with a solid history account, a solid footholding, a great backing, and also the listeners of the World's Greatest Whiskey podcast, which is the <laughs> I Want to Like Whiskey podcast, pushing it forward. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I think what's happening now, and obviously I you know, slightly touched on it with um, talking about Tony, but we have an opportunity now to cement what English whiskey could be. And we don't necessarily need to kind of hark back to the past. I mean, Scotland kind of has that all, you know, beautifully wrapped up, as does Ireland. And I think there's kind of making, you know, telling the stories, telling um, the stories of the distillers and, and what happened. But I don't know if, and this is just personal opinion, I, 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 my very, very personal opinion is that I don't I don't think English whiskey is ready to be categorized. And that is a very, very broad opinion. And I've it's only something that I've been thinking about now because I know and this I'm sure this isn't, you know, the the time to discuss it, but I think we need to sort of track that history. We've we've got a lot of distilleries that have come on board. Like if you look at Ireland, we I think we have about the same as Ireland at the moment, which seems crazy given the history and the products that you know the history that was already there the people the families etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think we could be in danger of categorizing something incorrectly so we don't inspire people to want to distill and yeah. to look at England I mean I can, you know I'm in Birmingham and, and Birmingham is always pushed as a really innovative creative city city of a thousand trades so I guess I come to it come to the whiskey world with that on my shoulder a bit and I want to see that in terms of English whiskey, and it's not that I don't think it should be categorised at all, but I just don't think there's not enough people, such as Cotswolds like yourself, who are far enough down, who have had conversations with consumers, have seen their whiskey selling globally. There aren't enough distilleries that have that behind them yet. And I think at the moment it's too unevenly weighted with the big boys who are producing, selling, and all these people just sort of finding their feet. And I think there needs to be more people selling and talking and doing tastings and doing festivals and going across the world selling their whiskey and getting opinions back before we categorise. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the categorisation has to have the uh, fluidity and the, and, the, and the flexibility to be able to react when, yeah, you're right, absolutely, that when there is at least 25 to 30 different distilleries, because this is it. English whiskey is not one or two distilleries. English whiskey is a mass amount of distilleries and I think that there is a great deal of work to be done I would definitely say that from a Cotswolds distillery point of view yes we are further down the line than quite a lot of them if not most of them um, and we're still learning every single day is still learning and we're still scaling and we're still figuring out global markets and I think that you are right there needs to be less rigorous categorization and more flexibility towards how we can do these things and I think I, I, in having conversations with Dan, who's one of the founders of the Whiskey Guild, he definitely thinks that there is uh, scope and flexibility to these things. So without harking on this subject too much, um, 
because I do think this is a conversation for a bigger podcast as well. Um, just saying I got there first. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think there is uh, there are lessons to be learned. We don't want to build a false heritage. We want to be able to sort of have our own identity as a category. And that takes a little that that takes time. But from a liquid standpoint, I think we've got a great foundation. We've got some great producers, and I'm just excited for the future of the category. Same, and I just want to add there. You know, as you said in the beginning, I'm a huge fan of the Cotswolds, and I think, you know, you guys have massively pioneered what people are doing now, and I'm sure inspired many, many people to get into distilling. So it needs people like you, you guys, English Whiskey Company, Lakes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to be those people that others can kind of keep in their mind's eye in terms of what they can be. Because I don't think the English category would really be this this talked about at all if, if, if you guys weren't doing what you were doing. Yeah, and I think the other thing to sort of uh, finalise that to a certain degree would be everyone is in touch with each other, which is really, really promising because everyone is making mistakes and it's actually really collaborative when we talk about where we are and what we've done and what we've done wrong and what we've done right and what we've found that works. And we can share that information. And to tie it in, Penderin are really, really great friends of ours at the distillery and they've been the same. They've been able to share their knowledge as opposed to be successful without sharing that knowledge. And I think that as a category, that is the most exciting thing, is that it's a collaborative effort to move things forward. Okay, um, so finally in our punch-up section, where would you like to punch up? <laughs> um, so I, again, thought long and hard about this, and I'm going with a, with a, with a Birmingham... Uh, company. So um, for those in Birmingham and, and people in the bar scene will know uh, Rob Wood and Kendra Vorster. Um, so I was working with Kendra recently, so I got to hear about their next project. Um, and they are opening their new bar called Italia um, in the next few weeks, I think. And the reason that I mention them is because I always feel like in, our, in Grain and Glass, we have a cocktail menu, but it's classics. We're not cocktail people we like drinking cocktails obviously um but it's not a passion let's say we know what works we know what people want but we're not interested in in the kind of in having the, a you know a, a amazingly kind of curated cocktail menu it just doesn't sit with what we do so what i really love is when i feel like someone like rob and kindra who know their whiskey but they're cocktail people and they're specialists and they will go off and read the books. They'll go off and dig out, you know, amazing history of something. And I always feel that whiskey is kind of safe in, in their hands because they know about flavour structures. They understand about how to talk to people. So I'm really excited because I don't I don't know their menu. This isn't anything about a sneak peek or anything like that. I'm sure there will be whiskey on it and I'm sure that whatever they do with whiskey will be absolutely fantastic. So I think if you're looking for somebody who is a creator um, and who creates with a kind of flavour, um, you know, flavour forward and, and using really, really interesting spirits, I am kind of really, really excited about, about their new place. Yeah, I mean, I've been to uh, a couple of Rob's iterations previously and they were always absolutely outstanding, great hospitality, efficient, and the flavours were always brilliant in the drinks he created, so I'm excited for that one as well. Well, I mean, I think we have covered so many different bases from uh, smoky cokies to elite whiskies been drank with, uh, great friends, and then also talking about English whiskey, creating a whole separate whiskey 
uh, English whiskey podcast as well. Um, I started it. And then um, also just coming back around to really sort of talking up some wonderful people within the industry. So I guess on a final note, Amy, do you have anything you would like to promote with regards to everything that you do that is brilliant within the whiskey industry? Tell people where they can get in touch with you and how they can keep up to date on everything that you and your wonderful company and team do. Oh, that's very kind. Um, so, um, Grain and Glass, so Grain and Glass JQ um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are located in the Jewelry Quarter, hence the JQ. Um, we are kind of not rebranding ourselves but read sort of talking about um, how we do things so we're more of a kind of a whiskey tasting company with its headquarters in uh, in the JQ in Birmingham so if you've not been to see us our whole ethos is about getting whiskey open so we uh, uh, buy whiskey from wherever from distilleries from big wholesalers um, from random little shops and we get it open on the bar there's a lot of discussion around obviously um flipping onto auction we don't do that we don't hide things away so if you want to try some interesting whiskey um come and sit at the bar if you want to learn about whiskey so we're very much a kind of i hate saying educational because it sounds really dry but we do really really good tastings i'm not just saying that i don't do them anymore because i've got um renata and steve who do some brilliant tastings they um, are amazing yeah uh, and they are brilliant they're good fun and our whole ethos is around as we have discussed today making whiskey accessible and fun so if you do want to learn and have a good chat um, and ask any kind of question then come and do one of our tasting events there you go grain and glass in the jewelry quarter don't forget that you should also go to birmingham whiskey festival and go towards both of those the venue and the event if you've never even had whiskey or if you partially had whiskey or you are heavily entrenched in whiskey it is all about all of us having open arms welcoming people in and just having a good time with it as well amy thank you so much for joining us today on the i want to like whiskey podcast my pleasure and I will see you very soon for various events and a drama at your bar. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Cotswolds Distillery, a grain-to-glass distillery based in the Cotswolds National Landscape, a designated area of outstanding natural beauty and the home of England's best-selling single malt whiskey. Our philosophy is simple. We make delicious spirits in a beautiful part of the world. The Cotswolds Distillery. Our spirit, your whiskey. Your whiskey.